Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. As part of our Casualty at 35 celebrations on Distinct Nostalgia, we're re-releasing our interview with actor Jonathan Kerrigan, who starred as one of the first gay characters in Casualty in the mid-90s. Jonathan also went on to play the lead role in Heartbeat. Here's his candid conversation with Ashley. Jonathan, it's lovely to talk to you. Um, Now, before we talk about Heartbeat, which all our fans of Distinct have been asking us, we want to hear from people from Heartbeat. um, Because, and of course, Heartbeat's all about nostalgia anyway. Never mind remembering Heartbeat. Heartbeat itself is nostalgia. Let's talk a little bit about you. You, you, um, you know, I hate to say this, but you've been around quite a while. You've done quite a lot over many, many years. But... um, You've got various strings to your bow, which people, a lot of people don't necessarily realise, do they? Because you, as well as being an actor, and I think a writer, as we've written stuff as well, you also compose music too, don't you? I do, yeah. Tell yeah, us I mean, a bit always... about, about your, just your background generally and how, you, what your creative life, as it were, where it all stems from. Well, I guess, I mean, at school, I suppose, that's the thing. My, my older brother, he was always the, the, the kind of the... Uh, in the school plays and um, uh, doing all the Amdram stuff. And so he made me want to get into acting and, and showed me that it was something where you could get, I suppose, you know, attention, adulation, but at the same time, it could tick the boxes in all those creative areas that you that you want. Um, but along running alongside of that, I was very interested in music as well. It was always a hobby, doing the music things. So I've always done it. But um, I guess when I it sort of transferred to to influence in the acting side as well was when I did a program called Mersey Beat um which uh, it was a police series again I did three series of that we we shot it in and around uh Widnes um near Liverpool and uh and yeah I just said to Mal Young who was the uh, the, the exec producer on it I said well you know can I have a go at doing the theme tune for it and he was going, well, you can submit it with the rest of the composers, to which I did. And then it turned out that the one I did, that's the one they went with. Um, and that sort of cemented an in, I suppose, to, to be able to do it. Theme tunes aren't really my thing, <laughs> it has to be said. So um, please don't go back and, and look that up and, and judge me by it. <laughs> um, but it, 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 uh, it gave me an interest in, in, in watching pictures watching the moving picture, the image, and how music interplays with that. And, of course, you can either back that whatever's going up on the scene or you can juxtapose what's going in the scene. Uh, and I just find that incredibly interesting. It adds such a texture and a layer into, into film, especially. Music's very important, isn't it? It's an extremely important element of of of, uh, of film, really. And so, what's your so as well as doing Mersey Beat, then? And I will end up looking it up, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it's not very good, please. <laughs> <laughs> what what uh, as well as Mersey Beat? What what's your main focus when it comes to music? Then what's the what's the things you like to do? What's your passion there? Uh, I guess it's sort of. I mean, I do like to do soundtrack stuff. So. Um, uh, anything which kind of tell, has an image or tells a story within it. I don't do any vocals. I don't do singing. I don't do lyrics. I can't hear lyrics. <laughs> I, my my wife tells me, it's, you know, how terrible, because if ever I do try and sing anything, I always get the lyrics wrong because I can't hear them. I can only hear rhythms and harmonies and <laughs> melodies and uh, things. So, so it's very much soundscaping or, um, you know, orchestral, uh, things like that. Um, I, I, between the lockdowns, or in fact, it was just before the lockdown, I wrote a short film which um, we managed to shoot in between in lockdowns. Uh, and at the moment, I'm just doing post, we're doing post-production on that and I'm, I'm doing scoring the music for that. Uh, and again, that's, that's fantastic because we've got our, we've got a locked off edit. Uh, and you know that once you do the, the, the grading process, all the post-production processes, they just layer up um, the finished product. But music is the, probably the, that and sound design are the biggest components which can alter and edit um, so that's where we're at at the moment and, and it's working what I'm doing I'm happy with <laughs> and at the end of the day that's all I want I want to be proud and happy of, with what I'm creating fabulous sounds sounds fantastic I mean I uh, often have to commission people to do uh, music for some of the radio programs that we we make and I'm just always amazed how you know I'll literally just give a, a composer three words it might be you know say it's a history thing you know you know the usual passage passage of time and memory and blah blah you know a few different words and they come back with things that are, are spot on you know I, I mean it, 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 I mean I know there's a skill involved in it all but it's just it's it's amazing and, that, and that, I suppose you you it's a challenge for you as a composer of course 
But so just tell us a little bit about that. You know, I mean, how do you go about the whole thing of of, of composition? Do you think? I mean, what? I mean, is there a, is there a you know is there a formula to it? There isn't really, is there? It's, it's about what you feel. Isn't there it? can be a formula, like as with writing or any art form, you can have a formula and you can follow that formula, or you can use that as a starting point, a jumping point to go off on. Um, I know composers have very different. Uh, ways of reacting to film and, and their starting point. For instance, Hans Zimmer, you know, he he often, um, Gladiator, etc., etc., etc. He often sort of underscores what's happening. Uh, if there's if there's jeopardy happening happening on screen, then his music will suggest jeopardy. If there's romance going on, his music will suggest romance. Let's say, but then Brian Eno, um, by contrast, he he always says like for, for most of the films that he's been a part of. The music was already there in the first place, and the directors have utilised that. He likens it to a scene being played out, let's say, and a stream in the background. And the stream's constantly flowing, keeps going. You can hear the hear the noises of the stream. And every now and again, something within that noise of the stream will coalesce with what's going on within the drama or the action, and it will make it poignant. And that's an accidental happening. So... Uh, I kind of fall into that category. I quite like the accidental happenings of of beds or scores that are going on underneath. So my starting point usually is is, is going through all my different instruments, going through all different sounds, uh, lots and lots of different phrases, try and pick up on a key word or a key um, suggestion of a character. Uh, am I inside his head or outside his head uh, or her head? Um and then just see what happens. And I'm afraid I'm not I'm not able enough to say, ah, in this case, I'm going to use the um, the key of F sharp Dorian and I'm going to make sure it uh, does it. You know, I, I'm not able to do that. So I have to it has to be a, a, an organic process and a, quite an accidental process. Yeah. So there's a lot of instinct involved in it, really. There, there is. You know when it works and you know when it doesn't. And you know what's not working about it often. Um and and often, as uh, I've got some good good friends who give me some great advice, uh, and it's the classic of less is more. You know, um, I'll, I'll layer it up, layer it up, layer it up, layer it up, and it'll work for me great as a piece of music. You put it with the visuals, let's say, and there's just too much going on. Um, strip it back to its component parts, or something which doesn't even suggest a component part, and uh, and then it, and it can work better. And that's the beauty, that's the magic that's going on there. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I think music is exceptionally important. Even in something like, I remember ITV, um, you know, they, they've done so many different versions of the, of News at Ten's theme for years and years and years. Mm. And there was one, but at the moment, it's just a beat. It seems like there's nothing much to it. Whereas over the years, there was one they did in the mid-2000s when they had that backdrop with the, the yellow backdrop and they used to show images of all the different people that were coming up on the, who were in the headlines kind of mm. thing. Mm. And then this lovely... Um, What's the technical term? What do you call it? The melody bit, the the middle eight, isn't it? There's right, a beautiful yeah. middle eight in the middle, which was quite a. It just, it just, you know, it's a news program for God's sake. But there was something special about it. It made you want to mm. listen to it, or want to mm. watch it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, I like theme tunes. I think theme tunes are great. I was interviewing Simon May, uh, who did the EastEnders theme tune. About I was talking to him right. about Barbara Windsor the other day because he'd he'd done a special one for. But when Peggy left, you know, Peggy's theme, because they do a little theme for main characters that leave. And he was right. talking about how that how that works and whatever. But um, he was bemoaning, when I've interviewed him in the past, and several others have bemoaned, the fact that sadly with, I know you're mainly doing, um, you know, um, soundtracks and things, but sadly that in terms of theme tunes, which is when you and I were growing up, were a big thing. Your theme tune mm. was a big, big thing. They're now being more and more obscured, aren't they? Because they people the the continuity people talk over them at the end. It's not seen as as a bigger thing, a big thing anymore. Which I think is a shame, really, because you you identified with them, didn't you? You did, yeah. But I mean, it's certainly sort of the, you know the classic American box sets, which are, you know now we're talking about on Netflix and stuff. That that these big American highly polished shows they still do respect the kind of the theme tune, but it's not in the same way as it's not an attention grabbing theme tune we're used to you know the 70s kind of things very major chords major sort of upbeat sort of things which are meant to grab you in the rock files that was genius yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> classic yeah. um but but now you have things um which which don't need to draw you in but somehow are woven into the fabric of the program which then the third or fourth time you come and view it it's it's sunk into you and it's 
been part of the the program and that's because we can binge watch now we don't have to wait weekly it used to be that you had to have the big ba -ba 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 -ba, <laughs> uh, theme tune because you only saw it once a week oh i remember it's this program i'm watching now but now we binge watch uh so we don't it doesn't have to be so blatant but a lot of work goes into the composition of the music and it's nice to hear it and it annoys me when you watch netflix i was watching a, a while ago now earlier this year they were doing that series called they've done a nice mini series called hollywood which is all about Hollywood in the 1930s and 40s. Oh, right. And, uh, it's really good, actually. Very, very good. And, but they, they put so much um, time and work into the, the opening titles, which were really, really artistic. And they do this fantastic theme. And, it's, <laughs> and they've got the thing on Netflix. It says, now skip titles. And it's like, no, yeah. we want somebody to, you want people to experience that. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. there we are. We, the world evolves, doesn't it? The world evolves. We have too much choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. So, so that's great, and it's really interesting, and it's great that you're doing. You, you've managed to keep yourself occupied during lockdown with the with the music composition. Mm, yeah, I mean, and that, that's been very hard with two children as well. Of course, so, of course. <laughs> it's, it's not going as well as it could have done. So, um, let's just go back then. So, what was your first um, major telly gig? Where did you start off? Where, do, where if people? Look through the archives. Where would they find you? Where did you first appear? Well, I was incredibly lucky because I, I, I was studying at uh, Bretton Hall, which is affiliated to Wakefield University. So I got a degree in acting then. Uh, and in the about the last month of of the course, people were saying, you know, oh, we need to, what we're going to do now? Well, we need to get agents and stuff. So I wrote off to, I think six agents it was uh, in London. Didn't know anything about acting agencies. But I presume that if they've got offices in Covent Garden or Leicester Square or something, then they must be doing well. So I wrote off to six with good addresses. One came back to me, CAM, and and, and I'm, I'm still with him now. Uh, and they're brilliant. But it was that first week I got um, a Chemical Brothers music video, which life is sweet, which, you know, I love the Chemical Brothers, still do. Uh, but that to me was amazing. I got £200 uh, to film for the afternoon and I, I just thought that was it I'm you know I'm made 200 quid for the afternoon amazing uh for video uh and then within six months I got uh um I got a casualty that was that was my first big gig yeah that was in 1996 and that one I kind of got because I was doing lots of auditions at the time because when you're new they throw you around to loads of auditions uh and for some reason I thought I would um highlight my hair with a bottle of sun in this old product, maybe it's still on the go, sunning. And you put it in and it makes it a bit blonder and stuff. But mine didn't, mine kind of went orange. <laughs> and so I put more in to try and get it, uh, you know, more, more blonde. Uh, and, that, and it wouldn't, it just kept orange. So I kept putting more in and then had the audition next day for Casualty. I'm like, oh God, God, I've got to go to this audition with this stupid orange hair. So I did it. And at the end of the audition, they, they kind of said, well, look, you know, we really like what you did and you can have the part, but we want you to keep the hair, but we'll do it properly at a hairdresser. <laughs> so for three years, I bleach blonded my hair up um, every three or four weeks. Uh, and subsequently, I've got a scalp like a leather football. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Nah, I mean. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to yeah. get them on there. Yeah. Look, look, look. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta don't lie. Play don't it, play with it. No. Take that shit serious. Yeah, I remember it. I remember you being bleach, bleach blonde. Because um, <laughs> actually, I liked when it. when you look back, you know, you think you, you actually question was you'd been into, you'd been something later on. You think is that the same? Is that the same person? Of course, it, it was. Um, but I know the, the area you're talking about because I I grew up in. Um, well, I grew up in. I was born in Doncaster and grew up in sort of uh, South Hempstall, which is just around the corner from Wakefield, not far from Wakefield. Yeah. So I yep. know the area quite well. But you start. You 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 grew up in Lincolnshire, did you? In Lincolnshire. Boy? I did in Lincoln itself. Yeah. Oh right, okay. Or, yeah. or a village just outside Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my my parents are still there. I still go back. You know, it's a it's a lovely part of the country. Well, I lived in Wakefield um, probably around the same time as you were um, at Bretton <laughs> Hall. But I used to actually yeah. go to Lincoln because I was I was a newsreader on Links FM. 
just a part-time okay. one, but I didn't I didn't drive, and I used to have to get get the train all the time. And it's a such a, such a trek getting to Lincoln by train. Yeah, it's a nightmare. You go down to Retford, and you've got to change. Yep. And, Spend hours on the station waiting, and there's nothing there in Retford, and you know what Lincolnshire's like. There's no, yeah. there's no proper roads either. It's no, <laughs> no. They have a to- they have a toll bridge to get out of Lincolnshire, but you can get in fine. Absolutely, <laughs> I know, I know. So tell us a bit about tell us a bit about Casualty then. I mean, so you were you were thrust really into one of Britain's biggest shows quite mm. young, quite quickly. I mean, how did that alter things for you? And you know, I know, I know, it's not a soap opera, although some people think of it as, mm. as to some extent. But um, just tell us a bit about that because it's a, it's an interesting program, and of course, by that point, it, it was very, very well established. It'd been on ongoing for at least what eleven years by that point. Hadn't it? Yeah, I think I, I think I joined in series twelve or thirteen, some something like around there. Uh, and with my within my first year, there was they had their biggest viewing figures. Uh, because it was a special Jude, a character called Jude. She was very, very popular before I joined, and and she got stabbed in it, her character because she was leaving, uh, and it coincided with the Christmas special, I think, which was a ninety-minute special or something. And there's massive motorway pileups. That's happened <laughs> a few times in Casualty, I'm sure. But we got seventeen, seventeen and a half million viewers then. So, like you say, going from being a student. Uh, you know, eating my bowl of pasta every day and a jacket potato, to to then being on television with bright blonde hair, so slightly recognisable uh, in in the city of Bristol where we where we shot it, and it and it was a big impact on my life. I suppose it did it did change it in a in a in a big way. I, I but I learned I kind of learned it was my training in television, I guess, because when you when you study at university, you do all. You know, you'll do your your Shakespeare, your Commedia dell'arte, you do your uh, Chekhov, your Strimbo, whatever. You'll do all the classic stuff, but you don't do on-screen work. So you get suddenly get thrust into a, a popular programme like Casualty, which I'd not seen before. Uh, I, I knew who Charlie was, um, Charlie Fairhead. And he, he was in my in my first scene. My first scene was uh, as the character Sam applying for the, uh, doing a job interview in front of Charlie Fairhead. Uh, and the character's meant to be nervous and uh, a bit stumbly and stuff. And there was no acting required. I was obviously <laughs> just n- nervous and stumbling over my words. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, so tell us a bit about, about Casualty. I, I remember going to, I know it's moved now, hasn't it, from Bristol to Cardiff, to do it at Cardiff. And I was in there. Um, I went to see a friend of mine who is an actor in um, in, in Pobble You Come, which is the Welsh soap right. opera. Yeah. And... Uh, I knew that was done there, but I, for some reason, I'd got in my head that, that that casualty was still done in 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 Bristol, and I kept seeing in the <laughs> I kept seeing in the corridors all these all these people all these nurses, and I'm thinking, oh, is there something really dreadful going on? I was like, uh. <laughs> all the day, all day, I was thinking, what's been going on? I kept asking people, has been something? And then in the end, I realised, yeah, casual casualty's done there now, and Oldby City is as well, isn't it? You know, yeah, right, yeah, they've moved. So what? Um, what I mean. Obviously, there's a lot of effort goes into casualty trying to make it as authentic as possible, isn't there? Mm, Obviously, yeah. there's the drama. Your character would have a lot of drama. There'd be a lot of focus on your character being a young character and his personality and probably things to do with the you know, personal life and all the rest of yeah. it. But how do you get to grips with the medical side? How much of that do you... I mean, obviously, you follow the script and I know all that kind of thing. But, yeah. you know, how... How important is it, and how did how how did you find that side of things? I mean, I've been interviewing people, you know, about very early days of Emmerdale recently, and they're talking about how they actually literally had to get their, you know, their hands dirty, you know, shearing sheep and um, delivering delivering calves and all sorts of things back then. What was it like when you when you first got into into Casualty for the the, the authenticity, as it were? Well, to, absolutely to their credit, they wanted it to be authentic as possible. So every Saturday morning we had a medical training. Uh, it, it'd be all these sort of medical procedures that were coming up in that episode. It took two weeks to do an episode. So per episode, we, we had two Saturdays to, to do the training. So you'd, you would learn things and you'd learn how, you know, the, the, the real nurses and doctors and paramedic would learn it. So at one point, I, I felt confident in being able to perform an emergency needle cricothyroidotomy. Um, but what came out of it is that I, I learned how to say it, but not necessarily how to do it well. Uh, it involves getting a big pen and uh, taking out the the pen bit and then stabbing the the big bit into somebody's throat so that they can breathe if they're if there's an emergency in their airways. 
so suddenly you it's dangerous because you get this this part knowledge of things you could do it on camera i could make it i could sell it on camera um but suddenly you, you think you're probably more competent than you actually are um my dad was in hospital uh during that period at, at some point and i went I remember going in to see him and the student nurse came round just to do an ECG on him, just to take a reading. And the reading wouldn't come out. Um, and I couldn't help but sort of lean over and go, I, th I think you've got your seventh point there near the aorta a bit too low. And he moved it. I mean, that's probably not accurate, but he moved it and suddenly got a reading. I was like, wow, I must be a trained nurse. And on the way out of the hospital, I almost went into the staff door because I presumed I was staff. <laughs> so it's dangerous. That's all it is. It's dangerous. We get, yeah. To, we get a lot of knowledge, but not enough. And what did you make of your character? What I mean, what were you told your character was going to be like at the beginning? And did he did he sort of change and evolve? Did you manage to get something of you in there, or what was the what was the character like? Well, I suppose he's, the overriding thing for for Sam Colby was uh, he was gay, um, and you know the the producers at the time said to me, "Would I have a problem playing a gay character?" And I'm uh, and I was complete. Of course not. No, I mean, there's there's neither here nor there. You know, you, you don't have to take that into account. It depends what the storylines would be. Uh, so I think for the duration of the time I was there, I had three different boyfriends in it, but it wasn't as progressive as it is now. So we would we would you know our characters hadn't seen each other for for months or something and then then he, my boyfriend would come into the hospital and I'd shake his hand you know he's <laughs> kind of like I mean I'd give him a kiss come on but but they wouldn't they didn't want that because that would be a thing then so for the character it was um they skirted around that issue I think just just for safety's sake at that point in time they BBC probably wasn't, weren't brave enough to take it head on but there weren't there weren't many gay characters on TV at that time. There were some. I mean, there was Tony and Simon in uh, in EastEnders around that time. They began. They yeah. they started. A, and I think the focus on them was to try and make them seem as just as average as possible. They they didn't make yeah. a big deal about their sexuality and whatever. But you were probably one of the very few on regular telly at that particular point. Yeah, yeah, and and for that. Um... Subsequently, I've had you know a, a fair amount of letters of uh, of people who at the time were uh, were considering coming out of the closet or or trying to get to terms with their sexuality, um, and and have sort of thanked the program, me indirectly, the program for for having that character on screen. Um, so in that case, it, it, it did a, it did a great thing. But I would have liked to have seen it done more or uh, helped more. In the end, again, to their credit, they wrote me storylines which were about relationships. Uh, didn't matter which, what, whether they're gay relationships or straight relationships or what, but it was about relationships. So in the end, they represented it well, I think. Yeah, and of course, you uh, you know, I'm from the LGBT world and there was plenty of friends of mine who had... Uh, uh, typically bleached blonde hair like you did back in the right. mid-90s. That was a common right. thing. So yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. they copied you. Maybe that's what they were doing. Uh, uh, maybe Sonnen just gave free bottles of, <laughs> of, of bleach. Possibly, possibly, possibly. So, I mean, that you were on there for three years, which is, you know, quite a long time mm. on, a, on a big television series. And um, did it, how did it sort of, how did it change your life at that particular point? You were very young, you were in Bristol, another mm. new place to, you know, you'd gone from Lincoln, Lincoln and then Wakefield and Bristol. You know, did it sort of, um, I mean, did, did you, I mean, you'd left after three years. Did you decide to leave? Did you, did you want to leave? Is that, is that the. I did. I mean, I, I, I'd moved from university from Wakefield to London. So I was in, I was in London at that point. And then Bristol I'd never heard of. And I went there. And I suddenly fell in love with the place, and you know, career was suddenly going great. Um, had a bit of money, which is which is a rarity, you know, um, after being a student, uh, and and really loved the work and the people. But I suppose after three series, you kind of think, what else is there? What else could I be doing? Um, and taking advice of people like uh, Derek Thompson, who played Charlie, uh, he he was sort of saying because he's he. He's been in the show since it started, and I think he's still there now. He's, you know, now he's saying this is my life. So that, you know, why why do people sort of um, criticize me for staying in one job all this time? If that was another industry, people would, you know, celebrate it. So, but he said, the age you are, why don't you go and see what else is out there and what else you could maybe get? And three seems to be the magic number in that respect. The first series people get used to you. Second series you develop your character. Third series people get bored of you, so you go. Um, and and. 
and I took that as a rule, really. I did three series on Casualty, I decided to do three series on Mersey Beat, and then three series on Heartbeat as well. No, that's 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 interesting, and uh, and and you know, and you're, I think you're remembered for for being a character in different ways for all all of those, you know, which is which is which is great, which isn't always achieved, is it? Because some people do get specifically typecast in a particular way. I don't think you've been typecast, have you? It's, it's quite good that you've not. That'd be great to think not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is which is great. So, um, so what happened to your character in Casualty? Were you killed off or written, just written out generally? <laughs> what, what happened to him? I went to I went to live in the countryside with Ross Abbott, um, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, is strange but true. I no, my character was pushed off a balcony uh, in uh, in the hospital in Holby. Uh, and at the end of the series, it looked like I'd died because my head was split open, blood was seeping from it, and that was the end of the series. And then the beginning of the next series, um, uh, uh, I'd lost my way with the, the health professional because of the safety of it. Uh, with uh, So a character played by Russ Abbott, who was my ex-teacher, um, offered me a, a place in Cornwall to work in his business. But... But to my mind, I, I went to live with Russ Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. And you've never thought about return to casualty. They couldn't bring you back at any point. Well, they've never asked me. <laughs> but, I mean, I would do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to see what Sam's up to now. Um, but, 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 I, but, yeah. but in Cardiff rather than Bristol. Yeah, well, I love Bristol. I've got such an affinity. After after casualty, I stayed there for another four or five years. I lived there for another four or five years because I just absolutely love Bristol. Yeah, I'm yeah. back in London now. Um, but but yeah, it's got a lovely I, feel to it, hasn't it, Bristol? There's something, there is something nice about it. I agree. It's, well, it's it's so creative. It's just everybody we were uh, mixing with were creatives in so, some way. There's obviously a massive music industry there, uh, and yeah, that's when I that's when I kind of created a um, um, a, a music production company myself and a couple uh, three other guys who were part of different industries, um, and that's when we started doing music for TV and. Uh, and film. We did a couple, few documentaries and a few short films and full-length films. So brilliant. So that's yeah. where, that was where it all began. It fed it. into that yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. Sit tight as Ashley's conversation with Jonathan Kerrigan will continue in just a few minutes. The autumn arrives on Distinct Nostalgia with a host of new soap, drama, comedy, and entertainment treats, including Casualty at thirty-five. We mark the show's milestone birthday by meeting the woman who uttered the very first words. I think the first words were goodnight. (laughs) Seems ironic, but yes. (laughs) And then in actual birthday week, Distinct Nostalgia meets a woman who became one of the main female faces fans took to their heart for several decades. Kathy Shipton who became Duffy. So you'd go into this rehearsal room. The whole room is laid out like the studio set. They've got it there and you haven't got a clue. And then they've got poles and they're saying, the poles are the edge of the cubicles. So all of us will be going in going, and (laughs) my first shot, I walked in on the real set in BBC Studio D in White City and I went, And they went, Kath, you don't have to do that because there's a real curtain, you know, all of this ridiculousness. And we've other casualty blasts from the past as we repeat our conversation with Jonathan Kerrigan. And then there's some intriguing soap specials. We're meeting the first Tracy, Christabel Finch, who played the character from her birth in 1977. It felt very normal because it been like ever since I was a baby, I'd been there every single week filming. Get out of school, get out of the spelling test and go down to the studios. My friends were not very aware of it. And I remember one person saying to me, saying, are you on Sesame Street? And I was like, no, I'm on Coronation Street. And we've a surprise Emmerdale reunion. There's also a magpie reunion. What was very different about us is, first of all, we were all much better looking. Um, <laughs> oh, come <God>, no. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> I think we were younger than the Blue Peter presenters. You know, just a bit more in tune with the people that watched us. We had seven million people watching twice a week. And Tim Vincent goes in search of Valerie Singleton, bumping into other Blue Peter stars along the way. Stuart Miles, Tim Vincent, 
as I breathe. Uh, what are you calling me for? What do you want? Well, I'm actually looking for uh, Valerie Singleton's number, but of course, I'm checking in on you. Trips to Sun Hill and the Bill. Memories of Darling Buds of May. The Tomorrow People. And interviews with classic stars Jeanette Scott and Melvin Hayes. And legendary TV composer Dennis King. Our great sitcom writer series continues as we sit down with Clement and Lafrenet, who penned Porridge and The Likely Lads. That had an instant response. The very next day I was shooting a commercial and nobody had any idea that I had anything to do with it, but I heard them all talking about it. and That, that made me feel that maybe we had another hit. And as well as all that, we've got the quiz. Oh, that's amazing. Oh. A bumper autumn of memories. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast as well as amazing interviews just like the one you're listening to now the distinct nostalgia podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz oh i've never heard of it where listeners just like you go head to head on their favorite tv shows and films and put their general knowledge to the test there's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune but i know you're not going to are you Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo, is all I can remember. Yeah, well, that yeah, that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that. A brand new season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you. Prisoner Cell Block. Topic B. Prisoner Cell Block H. Simply pick your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com or by messaging us on Twitter. Have a go at three British films. Just have a guess. Oh, Whistle Down the Wind, Carry On Up the Kyber. Um, no, this is rubbish. I'm sorry. No, I don't <laughs> that, know. <laughs> they're not bad attempts, actually. And the two leading minds from across the month compete head-to-head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz. Got there in the <laughs> Coming this autumn. Oh, it's amazing. They always are. <laughs> so, Heartbeat, then. Um, this is what all our fans want to hear hear about. You, you came into Heartbeat after... Qu- I mean, the programme had been going, going for quite a long time by the time you appeared in it. And, of course, there'd been Nick Berry and a series of main police... police. What, they, what, what, what was the main role? What was the main role of the, the, the copper... It was he. Uh, a, it's a yeah. What would you call it? He's a policeman. The the, the, the village constable. Yeah, I basically, yeah. basically. So yeah. it's been going going for a long time, and and you know you look back at it now, and I know the show repeats. I mean, there's endless, endless, endless episodes of it. I mean, it seems to go yeah. on forever, doesn't it? It seems yeah. that it's longer than the '60s that it was portraying in a way. <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah, yeah. '60s can only be a decade. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what? Tell us a bit about that. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right. You said at the beginning, you know, you played several, you know, police. Uh, and, and let's face it, you know, on British television, there is so there's a bit of a plethora of either um, medical or police series, hasn't that, over many many years? Yeah. Were, do you did you relish doing this, or were, did you think actually I'd like to play something different? Or were you, do you know where I'm coming from? What I mean is, yeah, you know, yeah. it's that kind of thing. It's like. It, 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 it's even even now you watch watch ITV and you know they don't do very well don't do many comedies anymore for example, which I, mm. I I find annoying but you watch ITV and most of the dramas let's face it are often crime procedural sort of dramas yeah. I mean yeah was there, was there any reluctance about going into casualty to be honest yeah there was a, there was a huge uh, reticence towards it really because I just I I'd done three years playing a policeman in Mersey Beat um, and then. It was only a few years interim period when then I was offered heartbeat for um, to play a policeman yet again. So to try and reconcile what was it, you know, what was in it for me at that point, it was a difficult decision, really. Um, uh, I mean, the biggest difference, really. I mean, heartbeat is called heartbeat because you've got the heart of the series doctor. Um, and then the beat of the policeman. So there's the heartbeat. It's the it's a combining of the medical world and the uh, and the police world. And I thought, well, you know, I've played casual. I've done casualty. I did the, done the medical world. I've done a Mersey beat, the police world. And now let's see what happens when you combine the two um, and set it in the sixties. I hadn't done a period piece. Um, nice neck of the woods. So I thought, what's the worst that could happen? Let's have a let's have a go at that. But very different to Mersey beat in the sense the Mersey beat was quite gritty. I mean, Heartbeat yeah. could have its gritty moments, but Merseybeat was, you know, of of the, 
you know, contemporary. Gritty Two very stuff, different beasts. Yeah, very, very much so. But also, like you say, at the time at that, uh, I, can't, I can't remember what year it was, 2004. Yeah, I started Heartbeat. At that time, TV was very much about either police or medical things. There, there, there wasn't the variety. There wasn't all the channels. There wasn't Netflix. So you were limited in, in that respect. But they seem to uh, try and do different um, iterations of how, where, how you'd see a policeman and how they would be involved. In in Merseybeat, as you say, it was more uh, it was more gritty, and we we had very much the episodic kind of um, arc to the to the story. And I think something about Heartbeat is it's just there's always this long serial arc which runs through it, and it's and it's about the the policeman and the, and the doctor and all the other characters and how they progress through it. And there's just something nice and, and warming about this Sunday night feel to Heartbeat and how can you create the drama while still retaining within these these nice, cosy, warm walls, you know. Um, that was interesting to me. Uh, and then when I got there, the people, again, I had my mentor, Derek Folds, like like uh, Derek Thompson, you know, people like that, and Peter Benson, God rest both of them, um, not with us anymore, but... Um, you know they 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 were just they were just great and very welcoming uh and you just have the freedom to play i think that's the thing they were so confident in this being a, a long running series which works and has its fan base that they could just play a bit really um and you could you were trusted to take hold of your own character uh do your own stunts which was great uh, there's quite a lot of that involved um, and you were doing and, it in beautiful countryside as well. And doing it in beautiful countryside. Freezing cold countryside, it's got to be said. I always had a pair of thermals on. <laughs> um, and when I started it, I didn't ride a motorbike. So I had to have these strapping props guys push me into shot without <laughs> seeing them <laughs> and cut before you saw their hands on the back of the motorbike uh, for about three or four months. Uh, I didn't feel very heroic at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yeah, Derek Fold sadly died. Was it like last last year? Wasn't it just before the coronavirus kicked in? Yeah, um, yeah. Very, very sad. A, a friend of mine knew him very well, and I was we were due to do some interviews with him actually and do a bit of work with right. him. Yeah, really, really sad. Really sad. Um, it was just so dry and so so donic. You know, just a lovely wit about him. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Been great working with him. Were you there when uh, were, were people like? Um, Bill Maynard still around when you were there, or he? No, Bill had gone a few years before me. Yeah, uh, before I started, Gwen Taylor was sort Gwen of that role. Took yeah. took that uh, role. And and uh, who was the other person? Um, Jeffrey Hughes, of course. Was he? Was he? Around? Jeffrey was. Oh, of course, yes. Jeffrey was there. Yeah, yeah. But he for about I think the first two series I was there. I think I did two series with him. Yeah. So to so tell us a little bit about the the the. the 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 your character in that and the storylines that you got i mean it was set in the 60s as you say you'd not done a period piece before was uh you know just tell tell us a bit about the stories and how you had to adapt to the sort of the period side of things was anything interesting about that uh well i just remembered i did do a period piece before that i did a Catherine cookson i forgot about that but <laughs> just just to put the, yeah side point i just remembered that um uh the period not so much i mean it was one of those things, again, where you would, uh, like playing um, Sam in, in Casualty and addressing homosexuality. In this one, we were constantly aware that we had a very white uh, cast and that there, 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 weren't, there wasn't any references to, uh, to race or colour because we knew that it was picking a thread. If you mentioned that, then, you know, if you're going to be accurate to the period, it wouldn't have been very savoury. So things like that you had to try and get used to saying well why wouldn't we do this why wouldn't we do that well it's because of the the period of time you wouldn't really it's not really sunday night viewing <laughs> my character his his background uh he came from a, a family of criminals which i'm not sure we ever fully explored within the series it was hinted at and mentioned a few times but he, he was there to try and prove his his family name or to to try and find some respect uh, for the family name again. So he was, if anything, maybe a, um, a little bit by the rules, I guess. But every now and again could push that. Um, uh, yeah, he, he found ways. He, he had connections within the underworld <laughs> now and again to be able to, to solve crime. Yeah, that's interesting because, of course, around the same time as you were doing that, I think, they brought out, um, of course... Uh... I mean, this is looking at a different decade, oh, but they Royal. brought out Life on Mars, didn't? Oh, right. on, yes. on the BBC, which was very much about the, the the way in which dodgy dealings were going on in the 
and the police in the seventies, if you remember. Yeah, right, the like, corruption, which is, yeah. which is quite quite interesting. And I'm sure some of that would have gone on in the in the sixties. But but heartbeat is very, you know, I mean, we we think of it as gentle, but actually it does it did tackle some pretty serious things as well, didn't it? As a as a, as a series, it did. Yeah, I mean, you know, it didn't shy away from uh, certain aspects. I mean, I can remember my my first wife in the series, <laughs> Dr. Helen Trent, played by Sophie Ward. Um, who was brilliant? I loved her. Um, she 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 was blown up in in a um, a terrorist attack of of my of our house. You know, um, I say terrorist, but you know that it was very targeted. But this isn't sort of a fluffy Sunday night telly stuff. Uh, and the way we shot it as well was full on um, full on explosives. Uh, I remember saying that I wanted to be part of it and and run towards the. The, to the building just before it blew up and the stunt coordinator had done loads of stunts with him again like it's a bit dangerous but if you want to do it you can do it and we went for it and suddenly the the whole building blew up and the front door blew into various chunks but i saw a, a sort of a pencil sized piece of sharp wood fly right past my eye <laughs> and just miss me and thought maybe i don't want to do the next explosion maybe i'll yeah leave that to the stuntman <laughs> And the hours on that must have been crazy because I would imagine that you're out and about in the you know in the countryside quite a lot. Um, you know, you've got to there'll be lots of challenges with the weather and all the rest of it. And and obviously, you know, you you've got to make sure everything's precise in terms of the authenticity, of the cars, the everything has to look right and all the rest of it. And you know, was it was it? I mean, you were saying that the time that you spent on casualty what was it how did that compare was it something and of course you'd be away from home as well wouldn't you? you'd be up in yorkshire for many many weeks and you know it was it was much more time consuming you know it, or it, it completely took over your life really because with casualty yes it's shot in bristol but you're mainly in studios and then you know you had a life in bristol uh and and so they worked side by side but with with heartbeat i was living in London and Bristol at the time, um, or my girlfriend, now my wife, was in London. I was living in Bristol and I was working in York, North Yorkshire. So each week I was driving over 700 miles uh, for work. And then when you're there, there's no central location. You know, we had the studios in Leeds. We had our exteriors in Gothland and also in Masham, which is a 70 mile radius of location. So you're constantly on the move, not really feeling settled. Uh, and there's only a, there's only two hotels or two bed and breakfasts in Gotham where we'd film, so you know that that was all there was there. And, and it's not and easy. Wonder... To, it's not easy to suddenly come back to Leeds, is it? It's miles away. No, well, you couldn't. No, only when we're filming in studios there. Um, and that was, yeah. So it just it just meant you know you were you were constantly out of a bag, and you always have you know you're early half five six o'clock calls and stuff, and you're filming all day, and and it's freezing cold. So it it it. it yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy going, but at the same time we were incredibly lucky. You know that was. Um... And when you were when you were on it, it was it was still doing very well. It was very popular, and um, I think one of the other one of the main elements of Heartbeat is obviously the nostalgia. There's the music going through it, running through it. We've already talked about how music's important, and I think my dad used to watch it mainly because of that. You know, remembering what it was like when he was he was in the army in the sixties, but remembering you know, the 1960s and the music, and he loved all that. But there was also an element always throughout it of comedy, wasn't there? There was little bits of comedy that would come yeah. through. Did you enjoy that? Yes, uh, yes, I did, because that, that that kind of always got given to Gwen and uh, and Jeffrey because they were the comedy turn, I suppose, for it. So it was given to those. So whenever we were allowed to have a bit of comedy, that, that was great. So I did, yeah, me and uh, Mark Jordan, who played Bellamy, we were always, we were always corpsing. Um, you know, just laughing on set. We couldn't help it. If we had a scene together, he's just got such the twinkliest of eyes um, that I just have to look at him and I'd go. I'd just be laughing. Uh, he'd get away with it. Nobody would think he he did anything wrong, but he'd just make me corpse all the time. So when we could actually utilise that and do it on screen, that was the best. And when me and Mark did it, it was even better, I feel. Now, you often get talked about, don't you? Let's face it, you know, Casualty, Mersey Beat, um, Heartbeat... Um, as a heartthrob, don't you? You're often <laughs> talked about as this heartthrob, 
and relationships are always a focus often of your storylines and you know that yeah you know, how do you how do you feel about that and do you think of yourself as a heartthrob <laughs> no it's utter nonsense isn't it um, <laughs> absolutely not no no and look i'm like we said earlier i'm you know i'm pushing 50 now nearly 48 uh so thank you looking <laughs> good you're looking gone. good for it though you're looking good Th- for it. thank you i've got excellent lighting here and the makeup's working obviously <laughs> looking good yourself uh but but yeah now now they but that's the thing when, when yeah when i'm um appear in magazines or anything now they don't sort of prefix it with heartthrob <laughs> i think they just prefix it with like aging <laughs> aging actor or something like that so uh i shouldn't have knocked it when it was there it was kind of nice uh having that um when it was there but i don't think you realize it at that point do you it's like when i was in my 20s you know you know just enjoying myself and all of it you don't and i was you know i, I was most of the time I was quite a good looking lad and all the rest of it but you don't think of it at that time do you it doesn't actually hit you until later on you look back at pictures and you think oh actually I wasn't oh, I didn't look that bad really you yeah 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 it's like oh yeah I wish I'd embraced that that was nice <laughs> yeah um I mean I I suppose I always got it slightly annoyed me that I was that that maybe it slightly annoyed me that if I was uh called that in an article or something like that it seemed to undermine everything else about me it felt uh or if i was playing that on screen it was kind of like well you know can you do pretty acting and i'm like well i'm not sure what that is <laughs> so i can't i did a series called uh reach for the moon i think it was um and in that they were trying to sort of do the you know try try trying for me to be a heartthrobby type in it um and i did, didn't know what that was i didn't know how to do that because that's a smoldering sort of thing and that's not me so I found that very, very difficult. But now looking back, I wish I'd just gone, oh, just just try and do the pretty acting. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> Sit tight as Ashley's conversation with Jonathan Kerrigan will continue in just a few minutes. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband. And as a new version of the story comes back to the stage in Birmingham, why not remind yourself of the movie classic with Distinct Nostalgia's special trilogy of star interviews. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him, and I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. It's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nickel and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. What, uh, what 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 feedback did you get? What kind of what kind of fan base has Jonathan Kerrigan got? What kind of what's it going? If you would describe your fans, what are they like? Gosh, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a mix. It absolutely is a mix. You know, Heart, Heartbeat brought um, a, a certain fan base over a certain age, let's say, uh, and Casualty brought me uh, quite a bit of male attention, um, which was great. So I suppose I've got a mix, a very eclectic. I mix bet you there. had a lot of old ladies liking you. A lot of old ladies, yeah, yeah, which is which is very nice. <laughs> yeah, my mum, my mum is now one of those old ladies, <laughs> but she's got this strange thing of mentioning people who look exactly like me. She goes, "Oh, have you seen that person on Dancing on Ice or something like that? He looks exactly like you." And I look at it, look at whoever it is, and I'm like, "That mum, that is not. That, I'm nothing like that." I don't know who she thinks she uh, who who she thinks I am, but she always says that. You know what? If I if I saw you in a crowd, I probably couldn't pick you out. <laughs> now, weird. as well as doing Heartbeat and uh, Merseybeat, you also managed to do 
uh, you had a little role, didn't you, in a, an American crime series? That's right, isn't it? Didn't you go and do um, N- oh NCIS? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I did. Yeah, uh, yeah. After after Harpy, we um, spent quite a bit of time in the states doing pilot season uh, there. Myself and my wife, and she she's an actress, and she she was doing really well out there. Um, did quite a few series, uh, and I fortunately I managed to get bite off a few a few things. So N- NCIS, I think, was the I suppose the uh, the most known one. But I've played American about five times now, it seems. Um, and I feel, again, that's it's just lo- such a lovely um, um, angle to take. It's just you've got a, a character instantly created there by having a different accent, a strong yeah, accent. Course, yeah. And the American accent is just such a, a great one to, to use. Uh, so I did NCIS, yeah, but w- when I went on there, I was very nervous. I was very nervous. We were shooting just outside of L.A., uh, and their set really wasn't that much different from Casualty. Uh, really, we was just in a, we were in a warehouse or a soundstage, but it was on steroids. So theirs was ten times bigger than ours was. We had we had small cranes for the cameras, you know, the dollies and stuff for the for the cameras. But there, they were huge, massive cranes for nearly every shot. We could afford it for a few shots. They could afford it for every shot. Um, but it was a great experience. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, um, quite a lot of actors go over, don't they, and do do a bit of American telly. And I mean, you've come back. I know I interviewed um, uh, Jack Davenport. Oh, nice. I interviewed this great guy. He's he's obviously settled there and carried on there, and his wife's mm. an, an actor as well, isn't she? Mm. Um, and uh, but you've chosen to come to come back. Was there? I mean, did, were there elements of how different? Basically, is what I'm trying to say mm. is that is the the the, the processes and the the climate for actors. Particularly if you're British in America compared to compared to here. Yeah, well, back in 2007, 2008, when I f- first went out uh, there, it was it was a very different climate than it is now. Um, you know, it was pre-Trump for a start, so they were more than happy to hire uh, British and Australian actors, particularly for things. We never moved out there for any period of time. You know, we, we'd go for. January, February, which is pilot season time. And we always considered getting the green card, which means you can go there and live and and then try and work there. But as it happened, you know, my wife got this nice job called Terra Nova, uh, Steven Spielberg job, but it was shot in Australia. So she was there for a year and a half. So we weren't in America at the time. And then straight after that, she had something which was shot in Canada and then something else was shot in somewhere else so um so we didn't really get to have that full living in LA experience until she actually did a a series there when we were there for about a year but the whole process is completely different there you know here we're very used to being self-deprecating going into an audition and just sort of saying well I don't know I don't know why you've asked me to do northern because I'm I can't do that you know and you're just self-deprecating all the time in in America they seem to not understand that they seem to think why aren't you promoting yourself why aren't you saying i do the best northern accent there is you know you want to hire me and it's trying to switch your head around into that self-promotion which i'm terrible at and lots of british actors are and jack davenport with um i went out with him when i was there as well he was sort of saying similar but he was saying because i've got such a big loud voice <laughs> uh, and i'm so tall americans just listen because i'm loud um, and you have to make yourself heard there. I just don't. I don't like that approach to. There to is yourself. there is still this element though of they love the accent, the British accent, don't they? They've got they're absorbed by that to an extent. They sort of the, there's certain things that I suppose that Brits can do no wrong in certain areas, can they? Because of that, you know, having that sort of that accent yeah. and that sort of. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's sort of they, yeah, they, they love it, yeah. don't they? Yeah, and they like a bit of sty- uh, typecasting as well for the, the the British being the the villain. And things, but it's just got much harder now with with Trump, although he's on his way out. But uh, when Trump came in, suddenly, you know, it was that that whole uh, use American for all industry. You know, um, that was his thing, wasn't it? So and then that filtered down into entertainment industry as well. So suddenly, trying to get green cards and and visas for working there just became really hard, uh, really difficult. No, lots of uh, friends who just just couldn't get work visas as well to to even be there we we were going to do the green card and then we were advised not to do it during t- trump's um reign because you won't get it so it was made much more difficult looking just briefly at a couple of other things you've done uh, quite quirky things really you're in that um thing called the best possible taste about um kenny mm. everett 
Yeah. Uh, that was must be interesting to do. And you're also in the in, in Diana as well, the film Diana. Yes. Um, tell us a little yeah. bit about those, because they're a little bit different, weren't they? A bit sort of quirky. Well, that's what I decided to, when I decided to come out of Heartbeat. I wanted to, I w- I'd become a serial serialist. I had done my three series on Casualty, three series, Measure, three series, the three series. And I just wanted to do these things which had a beginning, middle and an end for my character. So I knew what I was getting into. Uh, and so we just started looking at, uh, one-offs and two-parters, that kind of thing, but best possible taste. Both of those, both of those projects, you know, and it only had a small part in them, um, but they were just great to dip in and out of. And of course, Diana, um, all my stuff was with Naomi Watts, who is this brilliant Australian actress who was playing Diana, and we got to we filmed in um, Croatia and um, I want to say Botswana, but it wasn't, but somewhere in Africa, and I can't remember <laughs> offhand. Um, so for for that that experience, that was incredible, and and she was great. She was n- n- not unlike any other actor you work with. You know, just because she's this big Hollywood superstar, doesn't mean she, you know, she she still just wanted to play the scene, uh, discuss the lines. And because I knew English accents, she kept kept asking me about her accents and whether, how would you say this or how would Diana say this. So so that was a great experience in in that respect. Um, similarly, I. I did a film with um, Hilary Swank uh, soon after that as well. Again, a small, small part. We shot in Berlin, um, and likewise, she was just, she was just great. She was, you know, they're both Oscar winners, but they just want to act the scene. And going full circle um, in terms of you were saying Mersey Beat, and you did some of the music for Mersey Beat. You also did this um, film, which was all about um, the Iraq War as well, and you did some music for that, didn't you? Is that right? The one set in, in, in Basra. Um, oh my gosh! No, Richard Jobson film. I was reading about. No. Right. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> See, yeah, you've forgotten about it. I've forgotten what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Insomnia. And oh, no, I wasn't. No, what was it called? The Somnambulists. That's right. Yes, the Somnambulists. Yeah. Well, that was that was very interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, Richard Jobson. Yeah, he he sort of came up with it, but it was a verbatim piece from interviewing. Uh, soldiers from uh, Basra War uh, and their experiences within it. So it was a series of, I think, 15 monologues, all taken verbatim pieces. Uh, and I I was um, a sergeant major, I believe. Uh, and his uh, his angle with his, with his unit was to introduce playing a song. Um, each of the each of the soldiers got to play a song each morning to give them motivation and for morale and everybody could choose one. And finally on the 15th day, he chose uh, a Grecky piece um, to, to, to play and this classical piece of music. And the, the, the soldiers just had all started crying. So the most beautiful thing, they'd never heard anything so, um, so wonderful. So it was very poignant and it showed suddenly his, paternal instincts for his for his unit but um yeah i forgot about that that was good that was good that and yeah so i did the music <laughs> i did some of the music in there brilliant brilliant i could see you being i could see you taking to that kind of that, that kind of uh soldier role you, so it's one yeah. you've not done more of those really i can imagine yeah i quite, some... I quite fancy doing a yeah so it's some sort of second world war yeah first uh, or first world war even I can or imagine, first world yeah war, i could mean you yeah i can imagine you being in something like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, we'll get uh, onto it. We did a um, we did a um, uh, a thing about a radio piece. It's only for two fifteen minutes. It's called the Diary of a Modern Day War Artist. Um, a friend of mine, Xavier Pick, who's a um, he, he's an artist, and he basically managed to get in into the um, the British Army in the latter days of being in Iraq, kind of thing. Mm. And it was all about how they were trying to help the communities get get back to normal and things like that. Right. And they were coming across unexploded bombs and all sorts of different things. And he'd, he'd recorded the whole thing and done a little diary. It was, it was fa- really, really fascinating. But it's an area, isn't it, that we, we, we were so involved in all that, gone as, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago. And the media seems to have completely forgotten about it. We don't hear anything at all now about what's happening in, uh, in, in Basra. Yeah, as if it's all sort of fine. We're all, all good with it again. Now that's the, I mean... That's the problem with the news outlet in general, really, isn't it? It's just we they, we focus on whatever they focus on, um, and we think that's the most important thing that's going on at the moment. Obviously, the pandemic is the most important thing, I guess, at the moment, and Brexit, <laughs> and all the other problems. 
So this, just going back to Heartbeat then, a couple of questions, final questions. So going back to Heartbeat, just for the Heartbeat fans, what what do you, what did you, when you think back to it, what did you love about it most? And what do you think you got out of it? What's, what did it do for you in terms of your, your acting career, do you think, being in Heartbeat? Mm, it's a tricky one. You never know, do you? You never know whether if you take a job or if you don't take a job, how it has the knock-on effect. But a friend always said to me, never take a job because of what it might lead to. Do the job for the job's sake. And in that respect, um, it was all the bits that surprised me, which I take from it. The, 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 that part of the country, the North Yorkshire Moors, um, and the spirit of the crew who had been there for 17 years and just knew inside out their job. And you forget, we all, we all forgot that we... Um, were doing a program that was actually going to be screened <laughs> on television. We were just going to work, having a good time, having a laugh, um, trying to do the best we can, and then forgetting that it was actually being broadcast. Uh, you just do. And I think just that feeling of camaraderie and, and being part of um, a non-ego-based um, company, oh, that, that's the thing that I take from it most, really. And um, you're talking about your mum. Which of the, all the shows that you've been in does she like? What, which one would she boast around about her son being in more than anything? <laughs> yeah, that 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 that'd be heartbeat then. <laughs> she she still yeah she'll she'll let me know. She'll always sort of text me go, they're playing your heartbeats again on ITV three. Yeah, we got them. So we're re- we're recording them. I said, well, you've recorded them about seven times now, and I've given you, I've bought you the box sets. You know, it's kind of you don't need to record them again. <laughs> I know, but you know, it's different this time. <laughs> Brilliant. So um, and what's next for Jonathan? I mean, you you say you know you're 48 like me, hurtling the way, hurtling to 50, but a lot more, a lot of life uh, left in you, I'm sure. What kind of things would you like to do? You, you've not done a great deal of great. I mean, you mentioned a bit of comedy in heartbeat, but would you like mm. to do some comedy? I'd love to do some comedy. Yeah, I mean, that's when I, when I first started, well, when I was at drama school or, you know, Bretton Hall and stuff, that's the sort of thing I did, you know. Um, I'd never do drama. I'd always do comedy. But um, but nobody's employed me for that. So I'm just not funny enough. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, so I'd like to do some more of that. That would be great. The short film that I wrote that was mentioned earlier that we filmed is a dark comedy. So I get to stretch those uh those muscles a little bit in there and if it comes out well i'll let it be seen and if it doesn't come out very well i won't let it be seen um i did a during in between lockdowns i did a a, the new series of the syndicate um series four i think it was i'd worked with Kay meller before on in the club uh did a few series of that and so she just got me in to play this role in the syndicate so that's coming out next year it's always nice when something's coming out uh, you, you can sort of sit back on your heels and go, no, 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 I'm still in the industry. I'm still, I'm still doing it. That's great. Um, but all actors think it's their last job. So I'm hoping that's not my last job. Uh, of course. I mean, that's the thing about acting, isn't it, really? Mm. You're very creative yourself, you, the music and, you know, all that kind of thing. Would you like to be, and you've done the film, your own film kind of thing, would you like to have more of that? Would you like to be more in control of something from start to finish? You know, is that yes. the, the way you'd like to go, or, or are you happy to carry on doing, you know, different things from different people? You know, do you know where I'm coming from? You know, are yeah, you, absolutely. Would you like to take you, more control? Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, absolutely, want more control. You know, you you kind of learn uh, over the years all the different disciplines of how to make a program or a film uh, from different angles. So. In the beginning, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. But now I feel like I've got some tools to be able to do the whole process from start to finish. So with this short film, it was uh, myself and uh, Jason Merrills, who was actually the receptionist in Casualty way back when I met him on there. We've been friends ever since. Um, he's co-directed it with Jamie Glover, um, actor Julian Glover's son, uh, who's been a friend since my wife appeared at the RSC with him. So there's the three of us and... and this short film is to try and springboard some sort of production company to to do more projects. We've written other projects. I've written a pilot and uh, Jason's written a novel that we're serialising and things. So like your good self, trying to take hold and create content for ourselves. Um, and yes, that's definitely the, the angle that we're trying to take now. It's, it, it, it amazes me, you know, that we've spent all these years being the cosseted actor who comes in and you know takes all the glory, um, and then to be on the other side of it, being the 
we were all producers on it. We we're all, um, you know, we had a, a crew of 25 for this short film, which is all set in a doorway. It's kind of <laughs> everybody at lockdown. We're all desperate to work again. We had this amazing DOP we could never afford. But because everybody was in lockdown and, and desperate to do something creative, we got this fantastic crew and uh, Pro Lights gave us ten thousand pounds worth of lights. Um, Panavision gave us ten thousand pounds worth of camera equipment. So it, it's yeah, very much whetted our appetite to to create more content. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Good luck with it. Um, you know, it is difficult. I mean, running a I've been running a production company for quite a while, and you know, it's I mean, mainly radio. We do a little bit of TV, but mainly radio, and it's so competitive at times and. You know, trying to convince commissioning editors is really hard sometimes. You know, just trying to sometimes it takes ages to get an idea off the ground. You know, it's the ideas we've it's the had worst though. time to do it as well, isn't it? Really, now to to start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But but yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. You're gonna have to be very creative. Stop you. Very creative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why let that stop you? You know. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Jonathan, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Ashley. Jonathan Kerrigan chatting to Ashley about his fabulous career, which has included both Casualty and Heartbeat. Coming next from Distinct Nostalgia, Coronation Street fun, as we meet the very first Tracy. Apparently the director needed Tracy to cry. And I, you know, I was a happy baby, so never would cry on cue. They said, look, Mrs Finch, can you please, can you try and get Chrissy to, to cry? And she's like, oh, I'll give it a go. And she's going, oh, very naughty girl I'm very upset with you and I was like oh, and I started crying Pat Phoenix Elsie Tanner she comes storming down from like control room she's watching it on screen and she comes up to my mum and she says don't you ever do that I'm going to report you to social services you should never be doing that to your child and don't ever listen to the directors don't let them manipulate you and tell you to, to tell your child off and make her cry so since you know since she did that they always used a sound effect of a, ch- of a baby crying. That's all to come from Distinct Nostalgia as our packed autumn season of great memories continues. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.